with plumbing, with uh, anything you can think of with the roof, but that's fixable. If it has a foundation that cannot be remedied, it is laid to waste. It is condemned, destined to collapse at the first storm or sign of stress or wind or earthquake placed upon it. It is the same way with our lives. It's the same way with our faith. Tonight, I want to address the, the, address the foundation of our faith. Like a building that has a solid foundation, we can stand firm, confident, and poised when everything that we are is built upon the bedrock of Jesus the Christ. Tonight, you may rightly observe that we will be talking about simple, understandable concepts, basic concepts of faith, and nothing more, but let's face it, we forget these basic concepts in our daily lives. And so it's never a bad thing to remind ourselves of the essentials of the faith. So we now turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Those who received the letter of the Hebrews were part of a church that was in trouble. Why were they in trouble? Was it because they had been persecuted? That was a piece of the story. Was it because they had had their possessions plundered and taken away from them in some cases? That's also part of the story. Was it because their co-workers and their friends and even their families were abandoning them and jumping ship on them when they were in their faith and they upheld Jesus Christ? Only part of the story. Those things happened, but that is not why. That is not the reason that the church was in trouble. The reason this church was in trouble, they had forgotten their foundation in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had forgotten the basic principles of faith, so in VBS speech, since you're nearing that, when the rains came down and the floods came up, they were adrift in the sea with no anchor, a building destined to collapse as the, as the building of Christ because they had, they had no foundation. Or actually, they had a foundation, but what it was was it was something other than Christ. Just as they forgot, so we forget. Just as they lost their focus on their first love and they became afraid when the persecution and the hard times came and they began to fall away, so we forget what matters most. As we discuss this text tonight, the the concepts will be simple. They will be basic, but it will be a whole different story to move past just knowing them and living by them. It's not a complicated thing to say Christ should be our our salvation. Christ should be the foundation of our life. That's a pretty simple truth. Children learn to say these kinds of things, but it is a difficult and narrow way to live those truths. And I think God's desire for us tonight is to look into the text and to dig out his word and remind ourselves of his greatness and our humble state. God's desire for us is that we remember him and build our foundation upon him and not ourselves or any other thing that we could put in place of him. I hope we move beyond intellectual understanding and we kind of ease into wise living based on these words we find in Hebrews. Before we read this text, I want you to keep this in mind. The author writes some foundational truths to his audience and then from those truths he pushes on to make an application to say, to say kind of uh, do this because of the truth. I also warn you that in this text you will find the mega truth to the Christian life. It is, it is the one. And it's in other places in the Bible. You will find the whole reason to live the Christian life and walk the way that Jesus Christ walked within these seven verses. The text is, is uh, up here on the screen for you. Therefore, 
Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's some heavy sentence writing. (laughs) I think that was all one sentence. But if you break it into two parts, it hits home. The text is split into one truth and two, what we are compelled to do because of that truth that we know. Truth and how we should act based on the truth we now know. This this whole paragraph is beautifully wrapped up and capped off in Old Testament imagery that helps us picture in our heads what the author is saying. Let's look at the first part, the truth. The writer of Hebrews pins down some huge truths that we can stand on as Christians forever. And he does this, again, in Old Testament images, looking in verse 19. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, in the tabernacle you had the holy place. And then beyond the holy place where only the priests could go, you had the most holy place where only the high priest could go in. Past this, there wasn't anything holier. A curtain separated these two places. What you quickly realize from this setup is the exclusivity, the lack of access to a God because he is so holy and you and I are so unholy. Places, layers, sacrifices, curtains, these are buffers that constantly reminded the children of Israel that, that you could not just approach God at will in the state of your unholiness and his awesome holiness. But in verse 19, the readers suddenly discover in Hebrews that they have confidence to enter these holy places. Where on earth did this come from? It came from the blood of Jesus. So here's truth number one. Christ's blood cleansed us in a way we can never cleanse ourselves. It cleansed us of the dilemma of sin. So we have purification. That's a big deal to a people who knew that if you didn't have purification, you had no chance of meeting God. Now for another image. Second, the writer uses the image of a curtain that separated these holy places. And here's the radical thing. The curtain has been opened now, according to the text of Hebrews. When a curtain is open, that means that entry is clear, and it means access. The author states that this curtain is the flesh of Christ. So when the flesh of Christ was opened on the cross, literally, the curtain separating the holy places that we could enter and the most holy place The only thing standing between us and God, the curtain, was opened. And we had access to God granted that day. That might not be a big deal if we run over it too fast. But remember, these words are being spoken to a people who were constantly told, hey, you can't just stroll up and have a conversation with God. His very holiness would kill you. And your very unholiness would speak out as a witness against you. But now the recipients of Hebrews are being reminded that they have access granted and the curtain's been torn down. They have been cleansed of sin and given access to a holy God. Next image. There's blood, there's a curtain, and three, there is a priest. And this is unique to Hebrews in the New Testament. 
The comparison of Christ being the great high priest. Since God was holy, he only allowed certain types of people that went through certain types of rituals to be around him on behalf of all of us who were unholy. This is very exclusive. The priest had to eat certain things. He had to live a certain way. He had to guard his children a certain way. He had to purify himself in certain ways just to appear before God. The writer lets us know here that that priest is now Christ. This priest was access to our God because, remember, he's holy and we're not. And the priest acted on behalf of the unholy people toward God. The writer boldly asserts that Jesus is that priest, that he mediates our relationship with God. If you didn't have a priest between you and God, you didn't have a relationship between you and God for such a long time. If you didn't have Jesus Christ now, the Christian readers find out in Hebrews, you don't have a relationship mediator between you and God. So Jesus is the sacrifice that cleanses us. He is the open door that gives us access to God. And third, he is the priest that acts on behalf of ourselves towards a holy God. There you have it, the truth about Jesus. Now the author has told us the truth and he pushes into the second part of this extremely long sentence. Proper behavior based on the truth. In other words, here's the argument the author is making. Since all these things are true, everything grouped together in the red box that you see on the screen, let us push on based on that truth and do this. Let us hold fast. Let us draw near. Let us not waver in the faith. Since this is the case, this is how you are to act as a people of God. Since you have been redeemed, since God is your foundation, this is what you are to reveal in your actions, in your everyday life. That's it. That's a really fancy sentence for that kind of an argument. First, there's the drawing near to God. We could never do that before, and now we can. That's crazy. Some of of those readers of Hebrews hadn't even been to the temple, had never even seen the tabernacle, only heard it in stories if they were of Jewish descent, let alone walked in one of these structures and seen the Lord God Almighty, and now they had a chance to draw close to the Lord God? Amazing. Second, hold fast and do not waver in the confession of hope that we have. Those things imply that the way is going to be difficult. Those phrases point to things that can take you away from God. But the author boldly says, based on who Christ is, you can hold fast. You can stand firm. You cannot waver in hope. Now you have that ability to because of what's underneath you. That's pretty amazing too, considering these Christians were, so, were in such a state of distress that they couldn't even meet together. They couldn't eat with their brothers in Christ. They didn't have the gusto to go to church services. What can make them so afraid? The writer of Hebrews never tells us why they're so afraid. But he does remind them with courage that their reason to meet Jesus Christ far surpasses, is way better than any reason for them not to meet as a church body. Further past the meeting, he goes on to tell them, hey, don't only meet again, but encourage one another. See how you can stir up one another to love and good works. And on top of this meeting thing, again, why should the church do this because of who they were? No, the writer clearly reminds them because of who Christ is, because of who God is, because of his power. You can do these things in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials, in the midst of a pretty sorry social setting for Christians. When we read the text, did you see the megatruth 
It's in verse 23. Just get the pen out and circle this. Just memorize it. Because he who promised is faithful. It's the mega truth that allows us to hold fast, that allows us to encourage one another, that allows us to do anything in the church setting, anything in the name of Christ, we do because he promised and he is faithful. We do it not by power that's our own, but power that is his given to us. He who promised is faithful. That's the main Mega truth argument in this whole passage in verse 23. Church, look at what Jesus is. He is the sacrifice that justified us. He is the curtain that gives us access to God. He is the priest that mediates between us and God. He gives us everything that we need for life. So now, now we can stand because of what Christ has done on the bottom work. He encourages them not to waver in the face of opposition. And here's the reason you will succeed in this, he tells the church, because he who promised is faithful. Christ is all those things and more to us, and he is faithful. That's a foundation and a half right there. That's a rock-solid foundation. If you looked at it in the form of a pyramid, if you're visual like me, it would look something like this. You would have Christ as your foundation on the bottom. And because that foundation is so awesome and perfect and amazing and holy and powerful, because it's so atoning, you can put whatever you want on the top. Do you want salvation? You can have salvation because it's rooted in Christ Jesus. Do you want endurance? It can be rooted in Christ Jesus, and therefore you can have it. Do you want to produce good works and fruits of the Spirit? You can now do that, not because you're an awesome person, but because the foundation you stand upon is awesome. And do you want hope and love and joy? Three services. Woo! You can have that, and you can have everything because your bedrock is Christ. He who promised is faithful. If you're really visual and you want to look at it another way, you can look at it this way, where you have Christ in the middle and you have everything going around Christ, but it all still depends on him. If you have success in your life, and that might look different than what the world defines as success, trust me, read the teachings of Christ, you can have that success if it's rooted in Christ. If you would like to have salvation, if you would like to have faith, if you would like to have peace, if you would like to have happiness, if you would like to have joy, if you would like to have anything, you can now have that because Christ is in the middle of your life. It's a pretty simple formula. If you have this, then you have this. Because you have this, you have this. That's so basic, it's not even funny. We all know this. Living by it is another thing. That is so simple that the writer in a time of persecution wants to write this to a church who's experiencing persecution. What they needed was something complex. No, they just needed to be reminded of the basic fundamental truths that Christ is their foundation. Here's where we get it wrong. Our chart looks just like this, but we make a catastrophic adjustment. We allow Christ to fall out of the center and we put something else in the middle, we put us in the middle. This is the Christian battle church. Every day, what will take that middle spot? What will take the center spot? You see, when you and I are in the middle, Christ is still in our life, but now he's just on the side like mashed potatoes. The last time I checked, Jesus Christ was way better than mashed potatoes. 
He doesn't belong there. And you might say, well, potato, potato, JM, that's your fancy chart. Well, just hear me out. The middle of this chart is the load-bearing point of everything. Nothing else exists on this chart of mine unless the middle exists. And you quickly realize that it's a catastrophic adjustment. That's, That's the explanation of the chart. What's in the middle bears the weight of everything, just like the foundation of a building. Rest assured, the truth is this. We will be crushed like pavement under a steamroller if we try to take out Christ and put him on the side and keep it looking good. Thank you. But we put ourselves in the middle and we try to make ourselves the load-bearing point. Can I come down from here now? Okay. I'm going to take this with me. Okay. We cannot bear the weight. We cannot be the load-bearing point. Look at this. If you have success, and your success is rooted in you, then your success is as temporary as you are. When you die and your body is placed in a coffin, and I will too, so will our success. If you have salvation that you think is rooted in you and your good works and my good works and what we do and what we don't do, then guess what? When our bodies go in a coffin at the end of this life and it's all over and it's all said and done, the salvation goes in the casket too and it will just lie there dormant just like us. If we have faith or happiness or joy or peace, it will all go in the casket when we are dead because we are going to die one day and we are temporary. And so everything that bears the weight on us We'll just die with us. If any of these things are rooted in you, then they are as temporary as you are. And we are so temporary that we cannot bear the weight. The people reading the letter could not bear the weight. They left out Christ, or better yet, just kind of put him on the side and put themselves in the middle. And then when persecution came, they got leveled by society. They got leveled by the church uh, adversaries. They got leveled by Satan and anything else that wanted to take a free shot at them. They got leveled and could not recover at the smallest point of opposition. The, the text in the megatruth in verse 23 does not read for you who are talented and beautiful and spirited of your own who promised are faithful. It reads very clearly for he who promised is faithful. We cannot bear the weight. And so sometimes we put other things in the box because we don't want God to bear the weight for us and we can't bear it. And so we try to put something else. What will bear the weight for us? Will drugs bear the weight for us? Will sex bear the weight for us? Will money bear the weight for us? Let's get to some more subtle things that aren't so, I don't know, biggie. Will entertainment bear the weight for us? Will family bear the weight for us on Judgment Day? Will the U.S. of A. and all her military splendor and protections of our interests and assets and economic trophies overseas bear the weight for us? when we fall into the hands of an awesome God at the end of days? Will any of those things rise up on judgment day and say, Lord, be patient 
The only reason that they miss the point in life is because we harass them so. Please, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to make a deal. Let us be sacrificed for this person so that we can be their salvation and they will be free. Will any of those things on the screen do that for us? Can anything else in this world promise like Jesus Christ can and come through? It cannot. Live the Christian life, church, not because it's the easiest, not because there's instant gratification in it, not because it's what everyone else around you is doing. Live the Christian life, church, and do not waver in this because he who promised is faithful. We must daily make the decision to stop serving gods that, one, their blood is not pure enough to make a sacrifice for us. Two, their curtain being ripped does not give us access to God. They actually take us further from God. And three, they in no way act like a priest between us and our awesome God. We must daily put an end to letting unfaithful things be our foundation. And we must take up as our foundation the fundamental basic teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his atoning work on the cross and his resurrection. And when we do that, we will be able to stand through anything, not because we are glorious or great, but because of what we stand on, Jesus Christ. This is where it gets a little exhortational. Men of the church... Let's step up in our homes and workplaces for the cause of Christ. Let's encourage our families. Let's bring them here to meet with fellow believers. Let's teach our families the word of God. Let's love all. Let's love even our enemies. Let's do good to those who curse us. Let's bless them and do not curse. And we won't do it because we're outstanding or because we're mighty or because we're intelligent. We will do it because he who promised is faithful. Women of the church, step up in your homes for the cause of Christ. Encourage your families. Bring them here to meet with other believers. Teach them and yourselves the word of God. Let your light so shine before others in the kingdom and outside of the kingdom so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do this and persevere in this. And do not waver in this, even if people don't seem to care. Or worse yet, they openly slander you for this. And do it all not because you are lovely or because you are graceful or because you are talented and splendid in your own right. Do it because he who promised is faithful. Young people of the church, step up in your homes and schools for the cause of Christ. Encourage your family. Bring them here to meet with fellow believers. Love all. Bless those who seek to make your life miserable. Strive for excellence and quality in everything you do. Be an example to all the other believers here in love, in faith, in purity, in the word, in knowledge, etc., etc., etc. And don't do it because you are good-looking or because you are athletic or because you have such potential. Do it not because of any of those things. Do it because he who promised these things to us is faithful. We are called to be a people of faith, certain of the things that we cannot see while the rest of the world staggers about in doubt and they say, what am I doing here? What is the purpose in life? What's the whole point of it? What do I do with myself? How do we walk by faith while they do that? How do we walk by faith certain of the things that we cannot see? We walk by faith in full assurance of God and his salvation because he who promised is faithful and he is strong enough to carry through. When you walk by faith, the world doesn't get it. People of the world with no faith in God will ridicule you and they'll say to you, you can't even be sure. How do you know that this is worth it? Is, is it even worth it to give everything to the cause of Christ? 
Is it worth it? And we should be the church that says, ask us that question often, world. Ask us that question when we're witnessing the next soul being baptized into Christ and receiving eternal life. Ask us that question while we watch people conquer their fears and their sins and their addictions and their guilt with power that is not their own. Ask us that question while we watch ourselves become free from the vices of this world, from stuff, from money, from politics, from busyness, from lust, from anxiety, from guilt and shame. Ask us that question, world, while we feel the comfort of the Lord, even when our brothers and sisters die, knowing they are only going on to victory. Ask us that question while we ourselves will one day embrace death with an uncanny certainty of eternal life on the other side that is out of this world. Ask us that question when our trials and sufferings are only balled together into the eternal weight of glory that will outweigh it all that God will give us on that final day when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Ask us that question when we are gathered at the throne of God himself, praising him, And just being in awe of him forever. Ask us that question, world. If it's even important to ask by then. If you can even muster up words to say such kinds of questions on such glorious occasions. Is it worth it? It's worth more than our dying for. It's worth more than our living every day for. And then some. It is worth it by faith. We know that it is worth it because we have confidence that he who promises exists and that he who exists is faithful to carry through with what he says he will do. In the spirit of leaving you with fitting words until August, I would like to close with a benediction found in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. Just memorize this one too. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal, not temporary, covenant, may this God equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We live a blessed life in the midst of persecution we could still say we live a blessed life, not because we are great, but because he who promised is faithful. If you ever doubt your salvation, just think about this. Who does it rest in? Where do you get it from? You have a chance to get that for the first time tonight and to keep it for the rest of your life if you so choose to not give it away. You have that opportunity. You have that opportunity to be restored to such a blessed life and to have a great opportunity to live for God in thankfulness in the shadow of the cross and the empty tomb for what he's done for us. You always have the opportunity to do that. Let's not waver as we stand and as we sing.